You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you so much for giving us the most precious thing you have, your time, and we never want to waste it. That's why we spend our time turning down the noise of the news cycle, trying to get to the things that really matter so that we can discern the times we live in. Well, let's go over to Russia. Of course, we've been covering uh, Russia and Vladimir Putin's illegal, immoral, terrible war that he is waging against Ukraine. He's trying to wipe Ukraine and the people off the map because he thinks they should be Russian. Uh, that's the long and short of it. They didn't do it because of NATO. They didn't do it because of any other reason. This is a good old-fashioned war of conquest. To that effect, they've gone to a very, very old method of trying to gen up support. Now, as we talked about on the program before, they are now doing forced conscription. They are now doing fake annexation votes. They are doing all kinds of things because Vladimir Putin is getting desperate because through guts and grit and bravery and a lot of Western assistance, the Ukrainian people 
have fought the Russians off, and they're starting to retake territory, and the war is going very, very poorly for Vladimir Putin. And amongst all this, we need to talk about something that we shouldn't have to talk about because it was wrong in the Middle Ages, and it's wrong again. Uh, Patriarch Kirill, he is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. He is a strong supporter of the bloodthirsty dictator Vladimir Putin. He's a charlatan. He's a horrible, wicked human being and no vestments and no office and no titles and no waving around of any religious imagery can change the wickedness that he enables through Vladimir Putin. Now, this isn't anything new in human history. All throughout history, war and religion have gone hand in hand. When they go hand in hand, one of those hands usually winds up being a religious leader or two of the day working in concert with a tyrant to justify whatever bloodthirsty means they have at their disposal. Back during the Crusades, they called these planetary indulgences, where if you go on the crusade, you get your sins forgiven. This got pointed out. I first saw this in hot air. Our friend Ed Morrissey over there, you can read his whole piece. We're going to link to it as well. But um, what they did was, and this is from this is from U.S. News and World Report, quoting here, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church has said that the Russian soldiers who die in the war against Ukraine will be cleansed of all their sins days after Vladimir Putin ordered the country's first mobilization since World War II. Patriarch Kirill is a key Putin ally and backer of the invasion. He had previously criticized those who opposed the war and called on Russians to rally around the Kremlin. Many are dying on the fields of internecine warfare, Kirill 75 said in his first Sunday address since the mobilization order. The church prays that this battle will end soon as possible so that the few brothers as possible will kill each other in this fratricidal war. Again, he's playing the role that these people are Russian. They just need to admit they're Russian and quit fighting Russian, taking over their country. Screw you, sir, you evil, wicked jerk. That's not a theological term. That's just mine. But at the same time, the church realizes, this is Kirill speaking, that if somebody driven by a sense of duty and the need to fulfill their oath goes to do what their duty calls of them, and if a person dies in the performance of that duty, they have undoubtedly committed an act of equality to sacrifice. They will have sacrificed themselves for others. And therefore, we believe that this sacrifice washes away all their sins that a person has committed. What other hogwash that you're going to go to the battlefield and wash away your sins in the servants of a tyrant? We can talk about justified wars and good wars and the long history of wars and what you can and can't do in warfare, whether there's good and bad morality in warfare. Those are things man has wrestled with ever since the first man killed the second man and started the first war. That's not what he's doing here. He's propping up the dictator that he wants to prop up. In the Crusades, they did this, and it was wrong then. You, you wouldn't think in the year of our Lord 2022 that we have to deal with something that was wrong thousands of years ago. When European Christians were told that if they just go to the Holy Land and they just kill enough Muslims and they just take enough ground back for the cause, their sins would be forgiven. They're not. It wasn't. And it's wrong today, too. People like Patriarch Kirill deserve all the invective and all the dissemination we can pour upon his silly-hatted head. It's ridiculous that they use religion to try to do it this way, but it's nothing new. And it's not surprising. It does reek of desperation that they're pulling this card out. The poor Russian conscripts that are getting forced into battle are getting thrown into a meat grinder. I got a lot of empathy for them, even though their cause is bad and the dictator they serve is horrible. They're going to get sent straight to the front with no training, very little weaponry. They're just meat for the meat grinder to try to bail out Vladimir Putin's wounded pride and the Russian embarrassment of what's happening that Ukraine is proving to be unconquerable. And now this guy, Patriarch Kirill, this charlatan, 
this fraud is wanting to wash away the sins of not the people he's saying to go fight, but trying to wash the blood off Vladimir Putin's hands, who he wants to hold. Because for whatever reason, he supports this bloodthirsty dictator. It's a very old story. This very new twist is going to have very new body counts to it. And we should never let it forget. See, history is really good at remembering the dictators and the tyrants. But all those dictators and tyrants had enablers that stood right off to the side. People like Kirill want to hide behind their vestments and they want to wave crosses and Bible verses and theology and whatever else, patriotism in their own view, at people to try to excuse the wickedness that they're putting up. It's still wickedness. We're not fooled. History shouldn't be fooled. When we read something about like plenary indulgences in the Crusades, we go, that's ridiculous. Nobody would really fall for that. Well, here's somebody doing it right before their eyes. History will judge you on how you respond to it. You should call it out. You should have empathy for the conscripts that are being forced on the buses and trains and other methods to go to a front and fight a war they don't want to fight in. We should stand with Ukraine in trying to hold up their independence against an invading army that had no business invading them and know there's no excuse for them to do so. And we should pray the Russian people get a better leader than the dictator Putin who kills his enemies and hides behind people like Kirill to try to justify it all. God will judge such things very harshly, I believe. Whatever your faith background is, let me just tell you how mine goes. The harshest criticism that I find in my faith and in our scripture is always for religious leaders who claim one thing and do something else with their actions. The old timers used to put it this way. They'd say, I don't want to be anywhere near such and such when their judgment comes. I don't want to be anywhere near Kirill when he stands for his and for the many thousands that will probably die that he promised them something that was not his to give. More Hertel right after this. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, Hurricane Ian is going to be the big story for the next little bit uh, for good reason. It's going to come into Florida. It's going to come in somewhere around the Tampa area. They think this is, of course, an area that will be very prone for flooding, uh, especially the way Tampa Bay is arranged. The opening to the bay is going to be right in the path of this hurricane coming up. That means it's going to push a whole lot of water up in there. Central Florida is going to get a massive amount of rain. As you know, Central Florida, a lot of it's swamp. It's going to flood. Uh, people are making their preparations. Now, as we are rightly looking towards Florida and the rest of the East Coast that may be affected to this, and they batten down their hatches, first, this thing went tearing through Cuba. Now, we covered on this program that Cuba has had a lot of problems lately, uh, even on top of the communist regime that continues to oppress the Cuban people. They have had massive shortages of food, 
of fuel, and they've had an absolute crisis in the healthcare system, especially their emergency medicine, where they can't get people to the hospital. The emergency medicine people aren't getting the people in a timely fashion, so on and so forth. In other words, three of the main things you need to have in place for disaster recovery when something like a Category 4 hurricane like Ian goes rolling through is things that they've been struggling with for months, if not years now. And now this hurricane has come through. So somewhere in our preparations, we should spare a prayer and a thought for the people of Cuba. They suffer already. They're going to suffer anymore. And when you already got food and fuel shortages and a healthcare system that is failing on the emergency medicine end, not to mention the rest of its care, that's a bad time to have a natural disaster. And that's exactly what had. So keep an eye on that. Now, if you're one of our Florida friends, please keep your head down. Uh, stock up now. If you can evacuate, evacuate. Although by the time you hear this and the time we're recording it, it may be too late to get out. Make sure you stock up on water, fill up those bathtubs, all that good stuff. Keep your head down, make good decisions, take care of you and yours. Things can be rebuilt. People can't be replaced. So make smart decisions. As soon as this hurricane passes, the recovery air, the recovery effort will start. We will do what we always do. We want you to give if you can, donate time or money if you can. If you're in Florida, of course, you can actually go and help out. As we've always said with charity stuff, and I want to say this before this disaster hits, if you're going to give money, try to give it as close to the source as possible. Find longstanding established charities in these areas that are affected and give directly to them. There's nothing wrong with those big national names like the Red Cross, but the problem is they have massive overhead. And when you give to them, the money goes to their overhead first, and then whatever gets left over eventually will get to the disaster relief area. I know this from experience. Happened to us in West Virginia. Listen, there's nothing wrong with giving money to those folks, but if you want to get the most money to the most people as fast as possible where they can do things in these communities, give it to the people in the communities that know how to do it. We're going to get a list together. We're going to vet a list. We'll get it up, get some links up where you can help out. Just go ahead and put your mindset in because as soon as this thing passes and the winds die down, the recovery effort will start. And we want to be able to give you good information on how to help out. More Hertel right after this. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, excited to have her back. If you missed her the first time she was on Hertel, stop what you're doing, pause this, go listen to that, and then come back because she is fantastic. Thrilled to have her back. Finesse Moreno Rivera, uh, accomplished criminologist. She's a Young Voices contributor. She is really, really good on this stuff. Getting past the buzzwords, getting to data on things like justice, on things like criminality, on things like social justice. I'm so thrilled to have you back. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's great to be back. All right, we're going to talk about a hard one today. We're going to talk death penalty. Can we just start with some honesty before we get into stats and figures and and the emotions of all this? Let's let's just start with some honesty. Here's where I'm at on the death penalty. I would love. I've been trying for years to talk myself into complete abolishment of the death penalty and never wanting to have it for any reason. But every now and then, you just get that person that beat their kid to death with a ball bat, or you know, multiple serial killers with no remorse, or you got war criminal. There's always that exception that pops up and stops me just short of that. Now, that war is against, 
I understand the flaws in our justice system. I understand the limitations of our government-run justice system. I understand they've got a whole lot of things they're not doing right, so I don't trust the process either. So that's where I'm at on it. You've got polling data. The polling numbers on death penalty are kind of coming down. Am I in the mainstream? Am I an outlier? Is there other people that feel like me, or am I just a weirdo by myself here with that kind of an honest assessment of it? Absolutely, absolutely not, Andrew. And thank you very much for your honesty. You know, what the polls are showing, and, and me personally, I, I, I think that a lot of us feel the same way. What we're seeing is a strong six out of 10 adults who favor the death penalty. However, there's a huge caveat here in that they do believe that it is applied, it's not applied racially neutral, that it does not deter crime, and that it's also um, a huge a huge talking point for everyone in that they're thinking about it should be applied to the most heinous crimes, the most, the most severe that you're thinking of, you're thinking of killers or anyone of that nature. But as we all know, that's not how it's currently being applied at this time. Yeah. And even the way it's written into our laws, you know, there is still a federal death penalty. Uh, some states have abolished it like California. Some states have not like Texas, which is put in an express line. Um, you know, everybody's dealing with a little different, but even the way the law, like, you know, for example, sexual assaults and rapes are not qualified for the death penalty, even though those are some of the most heinous crimes we have. Things like that, like even if you're pro death penalty, just the nuts and bolts of the law, the black and white of the law and the legislation to it. There's a lot of gaps. There's a lot of holes. There's a lot of stuff that hasn't been updated in decades, if not longer just the machinations of government on how we manage our criminal justice system is neglect a good word here where it's just kind of been left alone and we do all the debating, but it hasn't been maintained up kept and paid attention to in the proper ways. Is that fair to say too here? I think so. I, I really do. And it's definitely one of those hot topics where again, it can be very heated. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, we, we should definitely have a death penalty, but wait, I don't want to be the one who, who does it. I don't want to be the person who stands up and says yes or no. Um, you know, it's really interesting, too, when you said of neglect, because I for some states who even still have a death penalty, they haven't even, you know, um, executed anyone in over decades. Oregon, Pennsylvania, these types of states, so they still have the law on the books somewhat as a just in case, but they're actually just not even using it. Yeah. And you're writing in the counterpunch. I, I say this every time somebody's on, but you really need to read this piece. It's got a ton. I think I counted 38 links in this thing. There's a ton of links, a ton of information. You need to read the whole thing. Decide for yourself. We've linked to it. Make sure you go through the piece because it's way more than we're going to get to today. But when you just start stacking the data up on this stuff and you go all the way back to the colonies, of the Americans and start talking about the death penalty. When you just start going through the data over and over and over again, break it down. What's a theme that you see when you see those big data sets? Because the numbers, your eyes just start moving. Did you see a theme that's consistent when you're looking at the data of the death penalty in America for the last 260 odd years? There's, there's quite a few themes. You know, you can one can definitely say that there's a political theme. Um, we all know the death penalty is utilized and also um, reinforced and brought back up depending upon our administration. Um, perfect example would be Trump was continuing um, the executions when he was in office compared to Biden, who's really um, slow rolling through the process as of right now, if not halting all of them. 
There's actually still a racial theme. There's a theme of negligence. There's, you know, there's there is a lot that's going on where it's, you know, applied unfairly. Um, there's there's it's completely unstandardized. I mean, when you really are looking at looking at the data and everything stacking up, it's a bit shocking that it just seems reckless how we are applying this and then also how we are carrying out the executions themselves. Yeah. Vanessa Moreno Rivera joining us. Let's talk about the way we carry executions out, because this is something I don't hear people talk about very often. Look, I'm a history guy. I study history. There's been a lot of different ways to kill people when you need to kill somebody. All right. There, there's an, you know, it's like the movie Million Ways to Die in the West. You can execute people a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. One of the things in America is we have used lethal injection pretty much exclusively with a few very rare exceptions for quite some time now. So we got a long data set on this. One of the inherent problems is, though, in our quest to have the most humane execution possible, we also picked one of the most complicated methods of execution possible. Like, it's not a simple process to do lethal injection because people, oh, they just put a needle in. No, that, that's not how that works. Talk about that, because at the core of when we start talking about government incompetence, or we're going to talk about the FDA part of it and the medical part of it, or we're going to talk about the morality part of it making a more complicated way to executing people that made a whole bunch of problems in itself. And then that just starts to really stress test all the other fractures that's in this process to begin with. Absolutely. So um, as listeners may or may not know is the reason why we do have a death penalty and why it may not be looked at as a violation of our eighth amendment amendment against cruel and unusual punishment is because our our Congress looks to us, the American sample of people who are on juries to say what the our society you know, sees as being cruel and unusual. And to us, because we continue to lean towards the death penalty, that's why we still have it. With that being said, we're also looking at the idea of our society evolving in how we operate within executions and just being the decency is actually the, the nomenclature that is that is utilized within the constitution. So with that being said, you're looking and trying to execute someone in the most humane way. And so as you can see throughout history, we have tried various different techniques such as firing squad or gas asphyxiation or hangings. And that's where we landed with lethal injection because it's what you just said, Andrew, you would think, okay, you just put a needle in and everything is done. However, there wasn't a lot of consideration as to how we would be able to keep up with the need for the chemicals utilized for the executions or who would be administrating them. You think about needles, you're automatically going to think about a doctor, right? Well, you have to consider that doctors have ethical concerns because they're here to help us, to actually give us life, not take it away. So what you see is that there are some doctors who are involved in executions, but they're not, you know, yelling it from the rooftop or, you know, talking about this with their colleagues. That may just be their moral, moral and value thinking, okay, well, if anyone should be doing it, it should be me. But what we're seeing a lot of is with a lot of these stories are that um, those who are participating in these executions are, you know, there's there's plenty of um, autopsy reports that come out that, you know, they're they're seeing multiple holes, they're missing veins, it's taking a very long time for individuals to pass because of the products that they're using 
aren't what they are supposed to be. As I, I don't want to get too far ahead here, but the main problem with lethal injection is that we actually don't have the correct medicines to use, the correct combinations in order to humanely execute someone. And in the beginning, Oklahoma, who is really out there right now on the news with a lot of their box executions, they were actually the very first individuals or they had, excuse me, um, a doctor who had come up with the three three ingredients for performing executions. In the very beginning, the whole thought was that it would feel as though the inmate is falling asleep, so their heart is actually stopping. However, what we now know is that the three ingredients actually builds up fluid within the lungs, so it makes the inmate feel as though they're drowning instead of actually just falling into a deep sleep and their heart stopping. So, we also know the FDA can't regulate these um, these substances, but I'll get to that as well. But you know, just really quickly, because lethal injection is fraught with a, a lot of issues when trying to come up with these chemicals, just a few days ago, it was announced that Alabama was going to try to pursue utilizing the nitrogen asphyxia, which also was brought up by Oklahoma legislator there based on a paper from a criminal justice professor who isn't a scientist, who isn't a medical profession, looking at nitrogen. As we know, we need oxygen to breathe. So if you replace that with nitrogen, then you're gonna start to feel, it'll, it'll work as, as, as though it's gas asphyxiation, pretty much. But the paper is only based on the effects that pilots or scuba divers have experienced whenever oxygen has been taken away and they're just naturally breathing in nitrogen. So yet again, what we're seeing is, you know, just a play on people's lives, just trying to figure out what we can do to humanly execute these individuals when really it's just we're just we're just testing it as we go. Vanessa Moreno Rivera, I don't want to be macabre about it and I don't want to be flipping about it, but let me just say it for the sake of the conversation, because this is a grown folk adult conversation about this topic. It's a tough topic. When you really get down to it, there is no humane way to kill another human being. You got to kill them. Like you, you have to stop them from living, whether it's in combat or whatever else. When you, if you're going to kill somebody, you got to do it and you got to follow it all the way through. And the problem is human anatomy and human physiology and medical science, that's going to be a little bit different for every single human person because they chemically react to things differently. And they're, you know, people are tougher than some other people. And there's some medical science stuff that we just can't explain scientifically. We just can't. That part of it is where the morality of it comes in is because you talked about the botched executions and how horrible they could be. You noted one in your piece that went over three hours trying to get it done. The Fact of the matter is, though, how do we reconcile those two things? Because it's like, look, whether it takes 90 seconds or 90 minutes, you're still killing a human being. The morality of that is something that we can't quantify in all that data set you have. So how do we deal with that part of it? 
I think that's really interesting because when it comes down to it, and I, I was really thinking about this and how to frame my thoughts or even try to consider what others may be thinking when listening to this or what others have thought, right? That, like Again, this is a very hot topic. I think that this comes down to your values and your morals. And we know that that shouldn't be a part of our criminal justice system, but that, that truly should be apart from just looking at facts. But what it comes down to is that's what it is. We're actually saying it's okay to kill someone. And I think that a lot of people have a hard time accepting that and talking about that because then you come into the conversation of thinking about, well, does that make me better than the person that we are executing? And at the end of the day, does it? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Also going back to what we're looking at, who are we executing? What have they done? You know, everyone's morals and values are different. And we also don't want to talk about, number one, the political lean, how these individuals are pawns. But then also we don't talk about the religious aspect of it as well. You know, uh, religion really does underscore a lot of our laws and a lot of our criminal justice system, whether we like it or not. We try to we try to say that they're separate but they're not. So, you know, I think it comes down to morality and values to say that, yes, I'm okay with killing someone. And that may mean that you're not better than the person that we're executing. Yeah. And that's Moreno Rivera. Is the heart of the problem with this debate, though, is it's one thing to say on Twitter or Facebook or even in a courtroom, because you just mentioned, the you know, the judge still says it, God have mercy on your soul when you give the death sentence. It's still in there isn't the core of this problem is it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to say it in the courtroom, but then some human being has to go and do that. And oh. I really wonder when we discuss this and I do it all the time. Like somebody does something is like, yep, put them under the jail. That's a, that's a horrendous crime. And we all have that natural reaction. I wonder if it would change how we view this debate. If we just skip ahead to the parts like, okay, this person has done something so bad that they need to be removed from society for the good of society. Are you willing to do the deed to get that done? Because I think yeah. that changes the whole perception on the whole thing right there. Yes. Absolutely. So there's there's two things that I like to comment about that. Number one is whenever I was referencing the poll earlier, that was from Pure Research Center. And you know I'm really happy that they did include this as a caveat that depending upon if this is an online poll or this is a phone call, that really skews how people answer and how they feel, right? I mean, that's that's a given. If you're talking to someone on the phone, you're you're definitely gonna want to skew a different way compared to having that autonomy behind behind your your computer, right behind your screen. You know, another thing as well is I don't I don't know if you follow a lot of YouTube channels, but there's one called Soft White Underbelly. Andrew, have you heard of that before? I have one, but I've not seen the YouTube channel no. Okay, so soft white, soft white underbelly is made from. I want to say his name is Mark um, Leda, and what he does is he primarily operates out of California, and and talks to individuals on Skid Row. He talks to people who are drug addicts. He'll talk to Johns. He'll talk to pimps plus with their prostitutes. He'll talk to prostitutes. He'll talk to gang members. He'll talk to people who have been shot. He'll talk to kids who are homeless. Um, he does follow up on individuals. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And what's great about this channel compared to something like Intervention on A&E, which I think is completely exploitive and you really don't learn anything, is that it really shows you empathy. It shows you 
as you know, as a person watching, you know, society and who an individual is, it's almost humanizing. So just yesterday I pulled up, I pulled up his channel and he had an interview with a warden slash executioner. And I mean, this guy was from Alabama, very straightforward guy, seems, you know, no, no whistles and um, bells. And you know, when Mark said, what does it feel like to have to execute someone? And he said, you know, I don't lose any sleep about it. It's my job. And when it when the clock strikes 12, I hit that button and it's done because what they had was an electric chair. But the one thing that stuck with me is that he said that I I treated them as a human being up to that single point. Me and my guards, that's what we did. And he said the number one thing and the reason why he could sleep at night is because that he knew that that person, without a doubt, was responsible and that need to be sentenced to death. And he said nine times out of 10, these individuals would confess right up to the point they're walking to the chair. And I think that also is a great segue as well. You're talking about the Innocence Project, but that's that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. But again, check that out, Soft White Underbelly. Um, he, but it, and you could tell too, he wasn't, it wasn't something that he looked forward to, but it was something that needed to be done at the end of the day. But that was that was his job, right? We're not talking about people who just sign up, who just want to experience it, which I think is completely unethical. But that's a that's also another story. Moreno Rivera, we're talking about the morality of it. It brings us back to what you dovetailed your piece in at the counterpunch. Again, you need to read this whole thing because she has just stats galore and links all over this thing. It's well-researched like her stuff always is. That's why we're happy to have her on. We're talking about the morality of this. The fact of the matter is part of the morality of being able to execute someone is, well, we followed the letter of the law. You know, you make the law the bad guy. Okay. The court, you know, a jury of his peers and the court and the legal system and all the appeals, we should have our hands clean in this execution because the entire justice system says this needs to happen. We can't say that with a straight face right now because the way the drugs are set up, the way the process is set up, the way the laws are set up and you detail it in your piece to great detail Pretty much every execution right now is in some shape or fashion going outside of the written letter of the law to get done. And that's just the fact it is right now. So if I'm going to be morally consistent, even if I understand that we should have a death penalty in some ways, you can't do the right thing the wrong way. So just the morality of it not being done correctly brings us right back to this moral imperative of we have to fix this system or we need to not do it until we get it fixed. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Because as of right now, we are operating outside of the wall just to get these executions done. I mean, you know, with the state's regulations, and even the federal regulations are just shrouded in secrecy. We don't know what's being done. We don't know where they're getting these chemicals from because they're, they've been outlawed by the government to be imported from other countries. So, you know, at this point, we're operating legally to, to you know, keep these executions going. And by going, you know, Oklahoma's on pace to execute two people, I think, a month at this point. I And, and they have continuously been in the media for botched executions as well. Yeah, Finesse Moreno Rivera joining us. There are 26 states that have secrecy protocols surrounding um, how executions are done and the people that are involved. This is this is where we get from the morality. We can get into some regulation here because this is a government operation. It's a law enforcement function. I understand there needs to be protections of the executioner. You know, the old trouble about the executioner having the hood over his head, right? Like, okay, the executioner needs some needs some protection and they need some privacy and they need some anonymity. I don't know that that needs to extend to every single person involved, though, because it sure seems to me when we're looking at these, how do you have accountability? How do you make sure training standards are up to snuff? How do you make sure they're properly trained and know the procedures ahead of time? Because this is one of those things, look, you're only getting one shot at these things. Like, this isn't like something like, oh, we'll just do it again tomorrow if it doesn't work, right? Uh, you're there for the duration. And like, you had this horrific botched execution that took three hours. Does these secrecy laws need to be looked at or at least look at the procedures like, okay, one or two people need anonymity, but the rest of y'all, we need to have some accountability here. Absolutely. You know, to me, there should only be at the, at the most two people within the room. Um, there doesn't there shouldn't be more than that. And everyone should have a reason as to why they are, whether that's the warden and then a doctor, preferably a doctor. But then that's it. There should be some type of accountability, because then to me, you're also just shrouding in secrecy your your own morals and your own value. You're just hiding behind something because you, you, you maybe you're just scared to admit it to yourself. Maybe you're scared just to admit it to, you know, the people who you work with, your family, your friends, society as a whole. There's no reason why we these regulations should not be transparent. And the fact that they're not just, again, goes to show that something just isn't right. Yeah. Finesse Moreno Rivera joining us. You talk about the Eighth Amendment. It has pretty vague language in this regard. That's not unusual in the Constitution. It has a lot of vague language in it because the idea was, well, this is the overarching thing, and then you states go figure it out and make legislation for it. So in and of itself, that's not an evil. But there is room for legislative fixes here. We're not going to change the Eighth Amendment. That's not going to happen. What legislative fixes should be worked towards here? Even a state that wants to have the death penalty, what should be some of the things they're working for? Should it be the FDA gap where the FDA is no longer regulating the drugs? Should it be the medical staff that's involved that actually physically does these, like some kind of a specific training for them uh, since most doctors won't do it? You know, do you do you, whatever that may be? Is it a law enforcement fix on the system that gets them there? What's some of the legislative things? Because that's an attainable goal that we should be working towards. Oh, goodness. There's so many. <laughs> So if we were to start at the very beginning, let's just look at um, how states judicial systems are set up. So a perfect example, Andrew, you know, you mentioned earlier Texas because they are way ahead of 
any other state. I believe it's Texas, Florida, and then Virginia for the most executions. The reason why Texas, for multiple reasons besides racial disparities, um, has such a high number of executions is predominantly based upon how its judici judicial system is set up. So number one being they have elected officials and those elected, elected officials are going to really be the voice box for you know, the population, which for Texas, they have a lot of proponents for a death penalty. Number two would be that they don't have a public defense system set up. So whenever someone who can't afford an attorney is has a capital case and they're sentenced to death, they are using a court appointed attorney who may not have or may not be as seasoned with, you know, capital offense um, cases, such as working with someone who's working, been on, the, you know, about to go on a death penalty, uh, they're overworked, um, list goes on. But, you know, another interesting thing too, is it wasn't until the 90s that Texas allowed for jurors to consider mitigating evidence. Mitigating evidence, as we all know, is a huge factor. Um, because that's, you know, including things such as your mental health or anything from your youth. I know that the um, the Florida shooter, there's a case going on right now, or excuse me, a trial. And a lot of proponents are, or proponents who are, excuse me, opponents against the death penalty are saying, look at his background, look at his youth. You know, he's, his mother drank a lot. He has a lot of mental health issues. So definitely number one, you look at, your, you know, the state and how its judicial system is set up. So Texas is a perfect example. Number two, you know, just getting the FDA involved. And I know that goes really against their oath of protecting, protecting the United States citizens. But at the same time, someone needs to be regulating these drugs that are being utilized. Number three, bring in scientists, bring in doctors. There should be scientists who are coming up with these quote unquote cocktails that are being utilized to execute individuals. There haven't been. They are literally just these individuals who work for these prisons and just come up with and say, oh, I think X, Y, and Z would work because this will stop the heart. This will stop the breathing. And we know that there's no science that's backing all of this, but these combination of drugs. And like you mentioned earlier, not one thing is going to work for everyone. Everyone's different. Um, you know, also making sure that, you know, we're keeping out, you know, um, foreign imports, making sure that we're making, you know, having a really tight home regulations about what's being used. So there's so many things that need to be done. Um, and also standardizing protocols. There is no standardized protocol, which to me is just insane thinking about we're actually executing someone and there's no protocol for it. Everything's different, whatever, you know, it's kind of like whatever they say goes. And I, there's just so much that needs to be done policy-wise that it's almost like, you know, where do you start? Well, our friends that are against the death penalty in total will look at you and throw their hands up and say some very unnice words and go, well, that's why you ban it. That's going to be their answer to that question. Right. Is, is there a refutation to that other than the you know 30 minutes we just spent talking about it? You know, I would like to see it banned, but at the same time, it's, it goes back to that moral values. It goes back to religion. It goes back to the politics. And it also goes back to, you know, I sincerely can say that I have never lost anyone close to me and been in the position of knowing that that and it's like the that the perpetrator 
is sentenced to death. I, I can't sit here and say that my mind wouldn't change if it wasn't my mother, my father, or a family member. Um, I, I don't know. But at this time, what I feel is that if we're going to do it, then it, we better be following the, the, letter, the letter of the law. We better be doing it the way that we should be doing it. Um, because if we're not, then what's the point? Then we're just killing someone. Yeah. And that's Marina Rivera. You do all this research on an analysis on the justice system. We have to bring this up because I think it's the only it's only fair to discuss this. There is a large strain of thought when it comes to the death penalty that even the people that do some of the more heinous crimes, <laughs> heinous, that's not a word, even some of the folks that do the most heinous crimes, um, people will say, look, most of those people, it wasn't their first offense. It was multiple offenses. The system creates them. And now we're going to use the system to kill what the system created. I don't go quite that far with it, although I'm, I'm empathetic to some of that in certain circumstances. I don't think you can broad brush it that far. But that's something a lot of people feel, especially people who are basically, you know, career institutionalized criminals who spend mo most of these folks on death row spend most of their lives in prison because of how long it takes. What about that argument? Because you've done the data on this. You know, those people, you know, I think the average in death rows, you know, decades. What do you say to that? Of like, look, we're creating criminals to kill something we ourselves created. That's immoral in and of itself. I don't necessarily describe to that, but I understand the argument. I understand the argument, too, but I, I, I'm, I'm with you. You just can't make that broad, that broad stroke. You 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 just can't. You honestly can't. I mean, we we definitely create it. We are a society who we punish rather than empower and help and intervene. But at the same time, I, I don't think that I can completely agree with that. Is talking about the death penalty as punishment one of those things that's a linguistic thing we should stop doing? Because it's not really a punishment. It's an intervention. You know, you're not punishing them. You're killing them. That's that's the end. That's a period. That's that's there's nothing after that. Should we be changing the language, how we discuss these sorts of things? Is it a nomenclature problem on top of everything else where we're still talking about it like it's the Wild West and we're hanging people when this is really almost, I hate to say sanitized because you're still taking somebody's life, but it's years of courtroom and it's years, it's it's such a long process now. Do we need to just change how we talk about it all together? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we all need to just sit down and be honest with each other and, you know, say what it is you are taking someone's life you are killing someone at the end of the day that's this is what we're doing i mean it, it's a long process i mean it's a that it takes a lot of money and you know on top of that we're not even really sanitizing anything you know we still have rampant crime we're still you know sending people to the chair that's what you know that's a old again old nomenclature right um it's, it's not an intervention it's not sanitizing anything we still have criminals you know every single day doing horrible things and it's it's not deterring them i mean there's plenty of research that's out there that's saying it's it's not a deterrence we are literally just killing someone just to say an eye for an eye that's what this is yeah this is one of the harder topics to discuss because it's life and death and it's it's life and death with government sanctioning which is really hard to get into the morality of it but finesse moreno rivera i so enjoy having you on we're going to do a long form on this because there's a there's a whole piece to this on the medical side 
uh, that we just kind of brushed by, but we really need to get into because there's a lot of ethics and things that go into that. And there's a lot of government regulation that needs to be fixed in that. So we're going to have you back. We're going to do a long form on this topic because there's so much to do on this. Um, and I want to read up on a few things before I get into it because you're a lot smarter than I am. So I want to I want to do some research and be boned up for it. But we're definitely having you back. Can you let folks know where they can follow you and keep up with what you're doing between now and they get to see you again on Hertel until we get you back, my friend? Of course. Thank you, Andrew. Um, recently, I uh, created a Twitter account so I can be found at Finesse Marino. And then also I can always be followed on my LinkedIn where I um, continuously uh, upload any articles that I have completed through Young Voices. Fantastic. And um, I'm going to get you on Twitter Supper Club. We got to get you involved on that because that's, <laughs> that's one of the great things on Twitter is us doing our food stuff all the time. So you might maybe you can start Twitter Orchid Club or something. You can do that oh, okay. with all your wonderful your lovely orchids back there, which is why we really have you on the show so we can look at your orchids. Um, <laughs> we kid, you do great work. We greatly appreciate you. She's also a Young Voices contributor. You can see all her stuff on her page. Let's do a lighter topic next time because I always enjoy talking to you. But you all, look, you do criminality. This is what you do. I, I know. You know, it's, it's so funny. My fiance recently said, you know, why can't you just write about something happy and good? So I think I'll be doing something on prison reform here um, here soon. So hopefully next time you have me on, I'll be talking about um, some good things that have been happening within the criminal justice realm. We all need some good news, too. So it'll be great. Finesse Moreno Rivera, you are fantastic, madam. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. That'll do it for this episode of Hertel. Wherever you and yours are across the street around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. We hope to see you again soon. Right back here on Hertel. Take care. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.